The ASCO conference brings over 30,000 people each year and has a membership of over 33,000, a third of which are international. Today I'm joined by a guest who is not only an attendant of the recent ASCO conference, but has been a pioneer and a past president of ASCO itself. If you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm joined by Dr. Robert Young. Dr. Young is president of RCY Medicine in Philadelphia and has previously served as chancellor, president, and chief executive officer of Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia. Dr. Young, welcome to the program. Thank you, Matt. So, Dr. Young, before we begin and talk about uh, ASCO itself, which you were a recent attendant at, um, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you in particular. Um, you've been a pioneer in cancer research, and in particular, ovarian cancer is, is something through which if people have a passing interest, a dedicated interest in research, care, or administration for ovarian cancer, they should and or will know of your name within a very short period of time uh, after this program because you have been one of the leading pioneers in the world, perhaps the father of ovarian cancer research. Tell us a little bit about how you got into that particular arena of research and care. Like many stories like this, I was lucky. I happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, I went after my medical training to the National Institutes of Health and worked in the medicine branch of the National Cancer Institute. Early on, we did a lot of work in the uh, treatment of Hodgkin's disease and lymphomas and developed some of the curative therapies for those diseases. But we were looking for uh, opportunities to develop the same sort of strategies in many of the other solid tumors that were much less studied. And uh, ovarian cancer was chief among them, um, a very serious disease. Most patients present with advanced disease. Uh, and at the time, melphalan was the only treatment around. The average survival was about a year. And those who survived a long time developed second malignancies from the melphalan. So it was a really grim uh, situation with ovarian cancer patients at the time. So we developed a systematic plan for staging and uh, diagnosis of early stage disease and then developed a series of uh, cooperative group trials through the gynecologic oncology group that essentially was able to cure about 90% of those who present with early stage disease. And for advanced disease, we developed a series of trials which ultimately culminated in a trial that Bob Ozels, my colleague at Fox Chase Cancer Center, ran uh, using uh, carboplatin and taxol for the treatment of advanced disease, which uh, really became the standard of care for advanced disease uh, and really turned ovarian cancer into much more of a chronic disease than an acutely fatal one. Uh, we can cure about 10 to 15 percent of those women with advanced disease, uh, which is not ideal, of course, except for the fact that for most solid tumors, no patients uh, with advanced disease are ultimately cured. But we need to do a lot better, and so one of the focuses of, of attending ASCO is to look at new opportunities for improving the outcome uh, of, of this disease as well as others. And before we turn to ASCO, which we will in about a minute, I want our listeners to be aware that when we're talking about your particular history, gaining the expertise that you did, uh, you came into ovarian cancer research at a time when there appeared to be no coordinated national or international research efforts into ovarian cancer. There were no 
uh, human ovarian cell lines, it seems. There were no reliable animal models, no standards for staging the disease, and no standard of care even for patients. And you came along and changed all that over the course of several years, or perhaps even a shorter period of time. Well, I, I, that's true. I mean, I wa- it wasn't alone. Uh, there were a lot of people that, uh, that worked on the problem, uh, and uh, we were able to get uh, national cooperative groups to focus attention on this so we could do national trials. Uh, and uh, obviously, there were a lot of people interested in, in altering the outcomes for ovarian cancer patients. And so we had a willing audience. Uh, it wasn't that people resisted the idea. It's just it hadn't been a real focus. And the fact that we happened to be at the National Cancer Institute at the time, I think, enabled us to really increase the national attention and national focus on this disease. And then the rest just, uh, just expanded from there. Why don't we turn from there to the present tense and talk about the ASCO conference that you were recently at. What were some of the overriding themes that you witnessed from this year's ASCO conference? I think the two overriding themes that most impressed me were, first of all, uh, the continued expansion of uh, what is commonly called personalized medicine. Uh, but what I would prefer to call uh, precision medicine. Interesting. Why is that? Well, because personalized medicine suggests that doctors don't attempt to do personalized medicine now, and that's not true. We've always tried to do personalized medicine for patients, and to the extent that we could customize, if you will, what's available in cancer treatment to a particular patient's situation, people have been doing that for 50 years or more. Precision medicine is the use of targeted agents that uh, effectively are targeted a particular abnormality within the cancer cell itself. Uh, And this came really out of work done in breast cancer with HER2-new and uh, the use of Herceptin uh, of, in chronic myelogenous leukemia, the uh, BCR-ABLE gene amplification that is targeted with Gleevec. These are the things that sort of changed people's conceptual thinking about, about cancer treatment. And now uh, in this meeting, across the whole meeting, in, in melanoma, in uh, cervix cancer, in breast cancer, uh, in uh, a whole variety of cancers, we saw specific targeted therapies developed based on the underlying genetics of these cancers uh, that are now being targeted. Uh, And some of this is really quite exciting. So stemming from what you just mentioned uh, previously about some of the advances in personalized or precision medicine, let's call it, uh, what were some of the advances that you saw in this year's conference that made you think about precision medicine and um, some of the new innovative directions that might be headed in that area? Well, I think that there were there were presentations, at least in in my field, about the use of uh, particular uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors in ovarian cancer. Um, in ovarian cancer, uh, the standard of care is still carboplatin, cisplatin, uh, and taxol. But a study was done by German investigators looking at the use of a drug called Votriant in the treatment, this is a tyrosine kinase inhibitor, uh, after complete remission, after the complete disappearance of disease. We know that you can get 60% of patients into a complete, an apparent complete remission, but some 70% of them will relapse almost all within the first year. 
So what they did was to take the population that had complete disappearance of disease uh, and then uh, six or seven months after they completed that therapy, begin treatment with this particular tyrosine kinase targeted agent, Votrian. And they were able to prolong the remission for about six months. Uh, it doesn't seem to cure patients, uh, but it adds another half a year of their symptom-free life. Uh, and that's an example of the kinds of strategies. Uh, we'll also get into the focus of attention on melanoma, uh, where uh, melanoma was uh, really a, an essentially untreatable disease other than uh, surgery uh, in the past. And more recently, uh, the use of targeted agents against this BRAF mutation that's present in about 70% of the patient's uh, tumors uh, will produce very dramatic uh, remissions. Uh, most of them are fairly short-lasting because the cells develop resistance to these particular targeted agents. But there are now some strategies of putting several together, uh, and this, this looks really quite promising. Um, so those are examples of the kinds of things that we heard across lots of, of diseases. And if we move back to gynecological cancer, of which you have great expertise, uh, were there any aspects of this particular conference that um, really just astounded you or made you feel like there were whole new innovative directions that uh, were being approached? I would describe most of the developments in uh, GYN oncology at this meeting to be sort of incremental advances. Uh, the one thing that was presented which is very different uh, and I think extraordinarily important from a worldwide vantage point uh, is th there have been enormous efforts over at least 40 or 50 years to replicate the kind of success story we've been able to create in cervix cancer evaluation and subsequent treatment in the United States uh, to other countries where the disease is actually much more common. We have less than 5,000 cervix cancer deaths in the United States today. Uh, we have 250,000 deaths a year in India alone. Uh, and uh, several hundred thousand more in other countries. So it's a huge problem in the developing world because they don't have the infrastructure to enable them to do what we do all the time with pap smears and, and evaluations of pap smear abnormalities and subsequent treatment. So a very simple test was developed some years ago uh, in which uh, acetic acid, but in fact what it is, is vinegar, is painted over the cervix, uh, and the abnormalities on the cervix turn white. Um, and people have then said, okay, this is a subset of women that need to be reevaluated. The group from the Tata Memorial Institute in, uh, in Mumbai, who, who, who are, it's a very sophisticated hospital, uh, but one of the only ones in, in India, decided that they would use this acetic acid and a just simply a, a magnifying glass, identify women who had particular abnormalities of the cervix, uh, and then treat them uh, at no charge to them. They evaluated, uh, I think, 70, 75,000 women uh, and had a 31% decrease in death rate 
from the evaluation of this very, very simple tool with subsequent follow-up. And they estimate that they could probably save, if they applied it across India, 22,000 lives a year, and across the world, probably something in the range of a quarter of a million lives saved. So very simple test, uh, very dramatically different from what occurs in developed countries, uh, but something that has enormous potential to reduce the worldwide cancer burden. Outstanding. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. It's the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm joined today by Dr. Robert Young. He's the president of RCY Medicine in Philadelphia, previously the chancellor, president, and chief executive officer of Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia, and the past president of ASCO, which is the primary focus of our attention today. So, Dr. Young, I'm glad you talked about some of the emerging international issues that are coming out uh, that were uh, brought to light through ASCO because this seems to be another overriding theme that you've been interested in, is the emergence of more international spectrum of attention uh, towards cancer care and the importance of new strategies, uh, both in research and care. Are there any other examples that illustrate this concept that you've come to the fore to talk about? As I say, one of the most important uh, overriding themes was the increase in international awareness and also the importance of ASCO, which is supposed to be the American Society of Clinical Oncology, but has become, in fact, de novo, the, the, the World uh, Society of Cancer Oncology, uh, because about a third of the members are international. Uh, and so they've developed a whole group of strategies to deal with this. Uh, they've developed uh, educational programs uh, where invited young uh, physicians from uh, developing countries come and attend the meetings and participate. They've been involved in a variety of strategies for uh, changing the sort of uh, smoking cessation messages that are put in other countries. Uh, they have been working to advocate for the reduction of, uh, of smoking on a worldwide basis. Uh, and that's an enormous problem. I mean, uh, we don't realize it, but 3% of all the smokers live in the United States. 97% live outside of this country. And so you can just realize what, uh, what tobacco exposure has done in terms of our cancer problem here in the United States and recognize that, that we are, in fact, just the tip of the iceberg. Well, Dr. Young, it pains me to say that we are running out of time, as we always do. There's so many more questions I'd like to ask. But before we part ways, can you tell us about any more particular developments within ASCO uh, that you think are of particular interest that you want to relate to our listeners? Well, there are a couple of things that were presented that I think are significant. I did mention the, the one on uh, ovarian cancer and maintenance therapy. Uh, there was a study presented at the plenary session on uh, thyroid cancer, which is not a commonly discussed uh, tumor. Um, it, the most common uh, thyroid cancers are controllable with radioiodine, but a significant number of those people, after a lot of radioiodine, become resistant to that strategy. And so a trial was done, again, with another tyrosine kinase, another targeted therapy, uh, which produced a 12% response rate in iodine failures as opposed to 1% on the placebo um, and uh, added about uh, 
six months of, uh, of disease-free survival onto that therapy. The other thing that came up was there has been a long discussion of whether additional tamoxifen therapy in women with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer uh, could benefit from uh, therapy uh, of this drug for longer than five years. Five years after uh, surgery in those patients is the sort of standard approach. It clearly reduces uh, the number of of long-term relapses. Uh, but it's a very long live drug, so that its effect lasts long after you stop it. So there'd been a big debate about whether or not adding uh, an additional five years would benefit. Reported uh, just at this meeting that there is, in fact, uh, a small but significant incremental benefit from an additional five years. Uh, I think whether it's enough to make 10 years the standard of care is just really uh, up for debate. Uh, There's no question that it does improve it somewhat, but the study was not designed to uh, determine whether or not if you simply reintroduce tamoxifen after those women uh, relapsed, you could get the same overall survival. Uh, But it is uh, an additional piece of information that I think is very important for physicians to know about. Well, Dr. Young, I think we've only barely hit the tip of the iceberg on this uh, subject, and I'm really looking forward to having you on the air again to uh, update us with some of your insights into ASCO and, of course, uh, gynecological cancers as well, your area of particular expertise. I want to thank Dr. Robert Young, who's been joining us. This is ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Thanks again for your time, Dr. Young. Thank you, Matt. ReachMD is online, on air, and on demand. Remember that you can always download the podcasts on ReachMD.com. And thanks again for listening.